Today I'm reading Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 29. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not let do them will be like a fool, foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and, and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these saying, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Thank you, Victoria, for reading today's passage. What a way to end a sermon. The house fell with a great crash, boom, over, wiped out, total collapse, irreparable ruin, destroyed. Why does Jesus end his sermon this way? Those before him on a hillside northwest of Capernaum, they need to make a decision. In the crowds are some very religious people and some not so religious. Jesus sees where their life roads are taking them, and he loves them. Their eternal destiny is at stake. If they don't pay attention, the storms of life will come and their houses will be flattened. So what should they do? What is the way of wisdom? Pastor author Andy Stanley, in his new book, Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets, argues that there are five questions we need to ask ourselves to make good decisions. One, am I being honest with myself? Two, what story do I want to tell? Three, is there attention that deserves my attention? Four, what does love require of me? And five, what is the wise thing to do? All five questions could be applied to our text today. When you consider the path of life you are on, the road you have chosen, are you being honest with yourself or are you deceiving yourself? In the end, where will this road take you? Is there a tension in your soul you need to pay attention to when you think of your own life direction? What would be the loving direction to take for yourself and for those around you? What is the wise thing for you to do right now? As we said earlier, our passage today forms the conclusion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Final words are really important. Jesus ends his sermon with a parable. He compares two builders and their houses. There are two foundations, one rock solid and the other sinking sand. A a dire warning is given. A decision must be made. Jesus understands that we all have a foundation for our lives. We cannot escape it. Everyone believes something about good and bad, about what is true and what is false. Everyone believes something about salvation. Everyone believes something about the future. Everyone believes something about what stands and what doesn't. What is the way of wisdom? This is the question of the biblical writers. This is our question. As we said earlier, the location of Jesus' sermon is most likely on a hill northwest of Capernaum, from which his hearers could see the Sea of Galilee. 
During the hot summer months, the sand around the Sea of Galilee was hard on the surface. Foolish builders would build on the hard sand, but wise builders would not be fooled by surface conditions. Wise builders knew they had to dig as much as three meters below the surface to the bedrock in order to establish a sure foundation for their homes. In good weather, each house looked secure. What happened when the winter rains came, causing the Jordan River to pour into the Sea of Galilee and overflow its banks? My friend, Teacher Evelyn from Kids Ministries, will help us visualize what happens when the torrential rains came. Teacher Evelyn, help us see what happened when the torrential rains came. It's raining, it's pouring. And one stands and the other doesn't. That's a flood. Thank you, Teacher Evelyn. Which one stood? Which one didn't? The one on the solid rock and the one on the sand collapsed, flattened. Did you notice that the two houses faced the same storm? Rain pounding the roof, rivers sweeping out the foundations, winds beating the walls. The difference maker was the foundation. A few weeks ago, the state of Texas was overwhelmed by an unusually powerful cold winter storm. The power grid fell. There were rolling blackouts. Water pipes broke. People were without power and water for weeks. Food supply chains were severed. Vaccine shipments delayed. Scores died. In an interview on PBS NewsHour, Bill Gates was asked, why did this happen? He answered very matter-of-factly, the generators were not weatherized. The same generators used in Texas are used in Alaska. Texas just didn't prepare for a storm of this magnitude, he said. The foundations were not laid for Texas to endure a powerful winter storm. Jesus says, wise people build one way, foolish people build another way. He says, choose the way of wisdom, no matter what the weather is like around you. Choose the way of wisdom. What is the way of wisdom? On that hillside 2,000 years ago, Jesus laid out the beautiful way of wisdom. He contrasted his kingdom, the culture of heaven, with the culture of earth. He contrasted the way of life with the way of death. Jesus said that culture of heaven people are, are poor in spirit. They acknowledge their spiritual bankruptcy and, and mourn their sinfulness. In humility, they, they hunger and thirst after God's righteousness, and they know it is found only in Jesus. Because they have experienced mercy, they extend mercy to others. Their lives radiate the light and beauty of Jesus in the darkness. Culture of earth people, on the other hand, are, are completely different. They are arrogant, self-righteous, judgmental, 
unmerciful, soiled, hypocritical, hostile. They're about themselves. They want the light to shine on them. Culture of heaven people, they, they live toward the meaning of God's words. When they have hurt others with their anger or insulted others, they humble themselves and seek reconciliation. When they look at another person with with lust in their hearts, they don't rationalize and justify. They ask for the purifying work of the Holy Spirit. When they are treated unjustly, they seek to forgive, bless, and love. Their love extends even to their enemies. Culture of earth people justify their anger and bitterness. They believe they have the right to distance themselves from others when it is not to their advantage. They only associate with those of their kind who are good to them. Their righteousness serves them. Culture of heaven people give generously out of gratitude to the Father, pray to just be with the Father, and fast to align their heart with the Father's heart. Culture of earth people give, pray, and fast to be seen. It's all about their outward appearance, their merit before God and others, and what they can get from God in return. Culture of heaven, people, pray for God to be glorified, for God's kingdom to advance, for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Culture of earth, people, pray for God to protect their reputation, for God to help them build their kingdom, for God to do their will. Culture of heaven people seek relationship with God above all else. They know that God is their provider. So they sleep in peace, knowing God will add to their lives all that is needed. He will give them good gifts. Culture of earth people allow their hearts to follow the things they treasure, accomplishments, possessions, money, power. They worry about even the basic things in life. Culture of heaven people do not judge others, but they are discerning. Culture of earth people are censorious. They're they're harsh, judgmental, and condescending. The question throughout the sermon is, do his hearers want the kingdom of heaven, the beautiful way of the culture of heaven on earth, or do they want the culture of earth? That is, their own kingdom, their own ways. Later, the Apostle Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 17, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Jesus' words reveal the will of the Father, the way of wisdom. We have to make a decision. Which way will we choose? The beautiful way of Jesus, the will of our Father in heaven, or the way of earth, the way of public opinion, the way of the crowd? Do we want the house that endures the storm or the shack that collapses when the rains hit? Do we want life or death? We have to choose. 
Jesus says, choose to do the will of the Father, not just be aware of it. Choose to do the will of the Father. You might ask, well, how do we choose the will of the Father? Verses 24 to 27 of Matthew 7 contrast hearing and doing. The hearers sit together on the hillside before Jesus. In our day, they sit together in church pews. They attend church services online, listen to sermons. They make verbal professions of faith. They enjoy Jesus in in small, diluted doses. They publicly express their opinions on social media in order to signal good character. They want to be seen as having the right opinion on the issues of the day. But they do not know Jesus, and they do not necessarily practice his words. James, the brother of Jesus, later writes in James chapter 1, verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Following Jesus is not just about hearing, listening, studying, pondering, and dissecting God's word. It's not just about being nice, knowledgeable, and respectable. It's about putting Jesus' words into practice. The mark of Jesus' followers is their complete surrender to the Father's will. They turn from their own ways and practice God's way of wisdom. Those of the culture of earth, on the other hand, they see no need to surrender their will, no need to turn, to repent, to practice God's wisdom. They demand their rights and seek their own welfare. They actually believe they are wise and strong enough to build their own foundation for their lives. You may say, well, I would like to choose the way of wisdom, the way of the culture of heaven, but I have no idea how I would ever live that way. It seems so far beyond me. The key is found in choosing the secure foundation for the way of wisdom. Here's an example of what I mean. Uh, Pier West is a, a new condo development in New Westminster, right on the Fraser River. It includes two towers, uh, 53 and 43 stories, with a total of 665 units. Should the buyers be worried? What will happen when the floodwaters rise in spring? It all depends on the foundation. The builders spent months driving piles into the bedrock below the river floor. The foundational work has been done. Another example. The Marina Bay Sands Mega Entertainment Resort in Singapore. It was completed in 2010. The complex includes three towers topped by a connecting 340-meter-long sky park with a capacity of 3,902 people and a 150-meter infinity swimming pool. It includes a 2,561-room hotel, a 120,000-square convention exhibition center, a 74,000-square-meter mall, a museum, a large theater, celebrity chef restaurants, two floating crystal pavilions, art science exhibits, and the world's largest atrium casino with 500 tables and 1,600 slot machines. Here is the interesting thing. It was built on sea mud. Building on sea mud is difficult, but it can be done. Massive watertight concrete cylinders were erected on the ocean bedrock. 
Water was then siphoned out slowly while the mud particles settled. And after waiting for a year, the earth foundation was ready for construction within the concrete cylinders. The key for any structure is the foundation. That complex in Singapore stands tall and firm in Marina Bay. Chrysostom, a 4th century preacher, commenting on Jesus' parable of the two foundations, referred to the person building on sand as brainless. That's not very complimentary. But we need to ask the question, what is the secure foundation of the way of wisdom? What serves as a foundation for my life, for your life? What serves as a foundation for a family, a church family, a city, a nation? Culture of Earth Gospels built on sand are very prevalent in our day. Some proclaim a post-truth gospel where you have no need of a foundation outside of yourself. There's no ultimate direction to life, no larger story to find ourselves within. Just live in the moment, be present, chart your own course, establish your own identity. If you're interested in spirituality, well, just develop your own. I know this path quite well because I tried to live it. What happens is that you try to prop yourself up with work, career, vacations, entertainment, self-help techniques, medications, sometimes drugs, so that your crumbling foundations won't be revealed. But this way just generates increasing levels of anxiety and despair. None of us have the resources to be our own God. Are we really willing to stake our eternal destiny on a gospel built by us? Another culture of earth gospel built on sand is the gospel of religion. Religious people hold to doctrine. They perform acts of service, appear to be morally upright, but they build on themselves their religion, their good works, their righteousness. This was the way of the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They stood in the crowds on that hillside as Jesus preached, and in love Jesus said to them, your religious house will crumble. And it did. Another culture of earth gospel built on sand, is the progressive gospel of our day. Any foundation will do. Every way of approaching life is valid. After all, all roads lead to God. Really? What about the religious cult leader who encourages his followers to take their lives? What about those religions that place spiritual curses on others? What about those religions that don't believe in God, period? And I could go on and on with question after question. This gospel is not based on reason or insight or love, but on the desire to be loved and accepted by others. It's the gospel of public opinion. This gospel is like the gospel of the false prophets of the Old Testament. They told the people of Israel everything would be okay. No need to change anything. And this is what God said about their gospel. Ezekiel chapter 13, verse 10. Precisely because they have misled my people saying peace when there is no peace. And because when the people build a wall, these prophets smear it with whitewash Say to those who smear it with whitewash that it shall fall. There will be a deluge of rain, and you, O great hailstones, will fall, and a stormy wind break out. 
And then down to verse 14. And I will break down the wall that you have smeared with whitewash and bring it to the ground so that its foundation will be laid bare. When it falls, you shall perish in the midst of it and you shall know that I am the Lord. All roads lead to God. This sounds wise in a comfortable, wealthy, stable society, but is actually intellectual and spiritual suicide. In the storm, this house will crumble quickly. So, where is the solid bedrock for the way of wisdom found? What can serve as a solid foundation? Only one rock has been stable, secure, and sure throughout history. God himself. The Lord does not ask us to be the foundation of our lives. He offers himself as our foundation, our rock. The Apostle Paul later writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. To build on Jesus' foundation, the solid rock, is not to be perfect or to measure up, but to acknowledge our desperate need of God's grace. We enter his way of wisdom. We lay hold of a solid foundation by humbling ourselves and turning to Jesus from our own way. We turn from the way of religion, our own spirituality, to the way of Jesus as our only Savior, Lord, and guide. You see, life is laced with storms, waves, rain, Winds, earthquakes, crises, none of us escape this reality. This is why we need to ponder how we will build. The key matter of concern for me personally and for you is not the unpredictability of future storms, but our foundation. Foolish people are content to build on sand. They are unreflecting, lack understanding, and make foolish decisions. Why? Well, their way, it appears to be easy. There's little resistance in in society. Their way is popular and comfortable. It's said to be the right side of history. But when the storms of life come, and they will come to all, their structures and their foundations will fool no one. Their houses will fall. So... Choose the only secure foundation. No matter what your culture around you tells you, choose the only secure foundation. Wise men and women build their lives on Jesus, regardless of the cultural weather. Those who build their lives on Jesus, on his solid bedrock, will stand regardless of the shifting sands of cultural trends and religious fashions, regardless of what the future holds. And they will be able to stand before God on judgment day because they stand in Jesus. Wise men and women hear Jesus' words and they do them. They live the culture of heaven on earth. They do not just live for today, for the moment but see forward to the storm of judgment day and live in light of eternity. They have entered the way of wisdom through the narrow gate of Jesus and live on that narrow path empowered by the Spirit of God. And in this way, Jesus concludes his sermon. Did you notice the reaction of the crowds? Matthew 7, verse 28 And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not 
as their scribes. The word astonished there suggests a wide range of emotional reactions to Jesus' words. Astonished means to be amazed, astounded, dumbfounded, beside oneself, mightily impressed. You get the point. In the Gospels, the crowds are often astonished at Jesus' words and ask, where did he get this wisdom? We read in these verses, he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. The scribes were the ones who copied the Old Testament scripture in Israel. They devoted themselves to the study of the law and determined how it should be applied to daily life. They drew up all kinds of legal documents. Many of them were Pharisees. They were in the crowds. What was the difference between Jesus and the scribes? For the scribes, a great part of their training centered on memorizing received traditions. Their authority came from citing earlier authorities and formulating new interpretations for their day. The power of God's revealed word had been lost to them. The scribes, they spoke by the authority of others. Jesus, he spoke with his own authority. So Jesus' hears ask themselves the question, who is this teacher? He speaks with the authority of God. Who is Jesus revealing himself to be in the Sermon on the Mount, they ask? This was the key question they needed to answer, to enter the way of wisdom. Who is Jesus? At Christmas time last year, a National Post article explored the popularity of Jesus in Canada. And according to polling from Ledger Association for Canadian Studies, about 73% of Canadians have a positive view of Jesus. Interestingly, Muslims are more positive than Roman Catholics when it comes to Jesus and just a little less positive than Protestants. The poll begs the question, which Jesus are people thinking about when they take the survey? Are they thinking about Jesus as example, as good person, as teacher, as social role model, as reformer? Or are they thinking about the Jesus who preached the Sermon on the Mount? In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus reveals himself to be the following. One, the Messiah. The fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. Everything pointed to him. He reveals the deeper an intended meaning of the Old Testament. Two, the one who knows the will of the Father. Three, the Son of God. The Father is his Father. Four, the King of the kingdom of God, who expects obedience. Five, the divine judge who judges true and false disciples on judgment day. Six, the Savior of the world, the one who determines who enters the kingdom of God. Jesus reveals himself to be God. And as the writer of Proverbs writes, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight, Proverbs 9.10. It's one thing to be enamored with Jesus. It's quite another to follow him as Lord. Jesus ends his sermon with the radical call to surrender to his exclusive lordship. 
The entire revelation of God found in the Old Testament points to him. He has revealed the intended and deeper meaning of the Old Testament. He has revealed the will of the Father to his hearers. Now he offers them a sure foundation, and they must decide. Will they choose the way of obedience to Jesus, true righteousness, and his kingdom, or will they choose their own religion, their own way? their own gospel, the way of self-righteousness and pride that leads to death? Will they build their lives on Jesus, the solid rock, or will they allow current ease of life to lull them to sleep, leaving them unprepared for the storms that will come in this life, and most certainly unprepared for the greatest storm of all, Judgment Day? Jesus says it will not be enough to say, Lord, Lord, on that day. Jesus says our decision today has eternal significance. Why does he warn us? Because he loves us. What will we choose? On March 2nd, my friend Rick Wilson shared his testimony on the TV program 100 Huntley. When he was diagnosed with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, in August of 2019, it was like an out-of-body experience for him. It was surreal. As his prognosis settled in his mind that he would live for another two to five years, he was filled with fear and anxiety. The walls he had built for his life came crashing down, he says. In his desperation, he got down on his knees and started to speak to Jesus, his friend, Savior and Lord. Jesus, I can't do this on my own. I need you. And he affirms that many, many times, Jesus has assured him in a myriad of ways, I am with you, I am with you, I am with you, be at peace. Jesus is a sure foundation, come what may. Choose Jesus, the only wise thing to do. Jesus came to earth, revealed the Father's love for us, surrendered himself to the will of the Father, and went all the way to the cross. He took upon himself all of our brokenness, fragility, and sin. He could do that because he was the Son of God. He knew the Father's hand was on him. The Spirit of God was upon him, the power of an indestructible life. And in love, Jesus gave up his life so that he might be our sure foundation a secure foundation so that we might stand before God on Judgment Day in His righteousness, not our own. He gave His life so that He might be a sure foundation for our transformation into His likeness, our sure foundation for all that we will face in this life, our sure foundation for eternal life with God. He has all things in His hands from beginning to end, and He has opened the way for us to be in relationship with God our Father. But we must choose Him. If you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, and it is your desire today to have Jesus as your sure, secure foundation, then please pray with me. Jesus, thank you for the invitation to know you. I've been on the wide path of life, trying to build my own foundation, trying to make life work without you, Jesus. Forgive me. Thank you for dying on the cross and paying the price for all my sin before I ever had a thought about you. In my need today, I acknowledge how much I need you. 
I turn from my independent ways and surrender, Jesus, my whole life to you. I turn to you for new life. Jesus, lead me from this day forward. Fill me with your spirit. Set me free from all that binds me. I want to become like you. Thank you for adopting me into your family and gifting me with eternal life. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time today, I would really encourage you to talk to a friend who follows Jesus. And you can also um, just click on that I commit myself to Jesus button on your screen. And we would love to connect with you and encourage you on your journey with Jesus. May Jesus be your sure, solid foundation. I'd like to pray a prayer for all of us who are following Jesus. Lord, we thank you again for coming to save us from ourselves, to save us from death, to save us from the evil one. Thank you that you have offered yourself to us as our sure foundation. Forgive us, Lord, when we look for foundations in other places. Sometimes we actually try to build life on our, on our own strength again. Sometimes we look for a foundation in other people, or we look for a foundation in a degree, in an identity, so many different places, in a bank account. Forgive us, God. May you, Jesus, be our sure foundation. We ask that you continue to draw us back to yourself when we stray. Thank you that your foundation is secure for this life and the next. Lord, may we dig deep into your word and allow your word to feed our souls, to shape the way we think about our lives, about the world around us. And may we walk with courage, with faith, with boldness, because we know that the foundation of our lives and of our future cannot be shaken. Thank you, Lord, for the way that you are at work in the life of our friend, our brother, Rick Wilson. Thank you that you are a sure foundation for his life. Thank you that you are a sure foundation for every person that calls Willingdon home, their church family. Thank you that you offer yourself as a sure foundation to every person listening today. And so, Lord, we praise you and thank you because you deserve all the honor, all the glory. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. I'm going to leave a few questions for your reflection. Talk about these questions with a few friends or family sitting around you. God bless you.